Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house there were creatures stirring, and I don't mean a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, but they were soon stolen by the things that were there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while spriggans and piskies danced rings round their heads. And Mamma in her kerchief and I in my cap would have no way of knowing these things while we nap. When out on the roof there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, they had stolen our presents and most of the cash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave a lustre of midday to objects below, when what to my wandering eye should appear but miniature people, the things that men fear. They had moved through the house so lively and quick, and I knew straight away that it wasn't St Nick. More rapid than eagles they left as they came, and they hissed and they shouted and sang out their names. Now Oberon, now Titania, now Peas Blossom Puck, the fairies from the woodlands, they came all at once. They came to steal Christmas and left over the wall, and now they dashed away, away with it all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, those creatures took wing and up to the sky. So up to the housetop the courses they flew, and if you're not careful, they'll visit you too. And welcome to the Wicked Garden Podcast Christmas Special. This is exciting. I love Christmas. Creepy Christmas. I'm your host, Mike. I'm your co-host, Tracy. And tonight we're going to tell you guys a little bit of stories, uh, some crazy stories from around the world, some weird legends, uh, things of that nature. And uh, we'll play this creepy background music because it's cool. 
It is cool. All right. So uh, I'm going to start us off tonight with a little story from South Africa uh, about Christmas cookies. And uh, basically this comes to us from South Africa. And um, what happened was a bunch of kids uh, ate the Christmas cookies for Santa. That's not right. Yes. And <laughs> when That can only lead to disaster. What happened was Santa showed up. There were no cookies for him to eat, and he didn't leave any presents. Oh. Yes. Well, that's so, appropriate. Yes. So in yeah. the morning, Grandma got up and killed all the children. <laughs> that's an overreaction. <laughs> because there were no presents from there Santa There were no Claus. presents from Santa they because they ate the cookies. Off. Right. So Grandma got up and murdered all the the grandkids, because that's what you do, right? I mean, you murder your grandkids. For so. eating the Christmas cookies. <laughs> so now uh, the kids in South Africa know that when those cookies get put out, they better not, not touch them. Do not touch the cookies or grandma will go crazy and kill you. <laughs> so that's our first one, and that comes from South Africa. Um, so uh, well, then, before we go a little bit further, let's take care of some business. If you guys like a have idea. a mm-hmm. uh, ghost uh, haunting, a uh, cryptid sighting, anything along those lines, a UFO sighting, please give us a call uh, or give us a email. We would love to hear from you. Our email is wickedgardenpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, you can get in touch with us on our three minute hotline too as well. And that phone number is 609-800-5130. And um, also uh, our Patreon, these are the last few days of our Patreon being a dollar a month. Uh, so if you want to get in and get that extra content, uh, now's the time to do it. Uh, come the new year, it's going to be $3 a month to get in there. There's an extra show every month. Uh, we post videos. We keep you up to date on what's going uh, forward with other uh, lines and uh, storylines that we're working on. Uh, we tell you about the trips we take. You get all kinds of inside information, and it's a great little way to support the show. Also, another great way to support the show, if you can't do the Patreon, is to go ahead over and give us a five-star review on, uh, you know, whatever podcasting service you're listening to us on. That really helps. And then also share our links uh, with your friends and try to get uh, that stuff uh, via, you know, out shared via Facebook, Twitter, whatever way uh, you kind of can. And so, that really helps us out, too. That It would help us out, but I think we should say a special thank you to our Patreons. We do. I want to shout out our Patreons today, and I will let you go ahead and do that. All right. Georgie Bush, Lynette Gray, Penny Brown, and Marie, can't say your last name. <laughs> Marie Bush Terrell. Thank you. <laughs> thank you guys so much. Uh, we really appreciate it. You guys make the show happen. So today, uh, what we're doing is we're giving you these creepy legends. And Tracy has an next one from Guatemala. I, I do. Let's, let's go down to Guatemala and hear yeah, their, their traditions. This one is actually post-Christmas. Not a bad way to end the year and start the new year. They uh, In the neighborhood, they go through all of their homes and they sweep out their homes. They do a full deep clean. They pull all the dirt and the dust gathered in every home. So like their spring cleaning. It's their spring cleaning, right. but it's right after the after Christmas and before New Year's. And so they take all of the dirt and the trash, and everyone knows Christmas generates a lot of trash, and they pull that out of all of the homes, and they build a big bonfire in the middle of every neighborhood with all of this dirt and dust and trash from homes. They put a devil on top of it, 
a devil statue on the top, and then they burn it. And so then all the bad omens are said to burn up with the devil. And so that's how they start their year fresh and their house clean. Nice. I like it. Yeah. And uh, our next one, we're going to travel over to Greenland to hear about. Um, And this one is a weird food tradition. Uh, Greenland has a weird holiday uh, Christmas food tradition. Well, they actually have a few unusual holiday menu items. One of them is called Matak. And this is a uh, raw whale skin that's served with a side of blubber. Mm, Sounds delicious. (laughs) Can you imagine telling your two-year-old, no, please go eat that. (laughs) Yeah. And then they have another one. Yeah, that must go over really well. Right? We can't get them to eat string beans. I mean, they're getting them to eat raw whale skin. Um, Blubber. Yeah. The next uh, menu item they have on the list, too, is called kiviak. Uh, So there's a bird over there. It's called an auk bird. Um, so auk birds are stuffed into a seal skin, <laughs> left them a ferment for half a year. Hmm. Uh, and then uh, they cut them up and eat them. So, uh, you know, fermented bird and seal. Yeah. That's I'll stick the turkey and ham. Maybe throw myself. some venison in there, but right. yeah, right. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. So we're going to stay in this burning world for a while. We're going to. Jump on over to Sweden, uh, a country I spent a significant amount of time in for three or four years. And there is a small town by the name of Gavle. And every year they build a giant straw goat as part of the Yule time tradition. And in, in 1966, the locals decided that they needed to add on to the Yule tide tradition of the giant straw goat. And since 1966, they have succeeded in destroying it, either by burning it down, hitting it with cars, and one year, they actually almost stole it with a helicopter. Nice. Nice, right? Yeah. And when I say giant goat, I don't mean like a 10-foot tall goat. I mean like a three-story goat made of straw. It's huge. Wouldn't you be scared to hit that with your car? I would be terrified to hit it with my car. My shots catch it on fire. Well, I, mean, I, I guess there's a lot of what's straw. They, what do they drink over? They drink that aquavit, right? Aquavit, yes. So I guess yes. aquavit. There's slime. some aquavit involved, I'm sure. Yeah, and they're starting to get a little bit drunk, and they decide, hey, let's go hit the three-story tall <laughs> straw goat. Our car. For better, yeah, let's catch the straw on fire because straw doesn't blow in the wind or anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A three-story goat burning, burning you know, in the middle of your town. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of I'd these, rather burn the dirt. I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. I'm with the Guatemalans. One thing we got to remember is that Christmas and that time of the year is really tied in with the winter solstice. So Correct. It's the darkest time of the year. I guess the thought process is you have this huge fire burning and, you know, you're, you're creating light on the darkest night of the year. I guess that's what it is. It could be. I mean, and, and granted, they only have about two and a half hours of daylight on that right. day. So. Right. Yeah, so it's just like we're doing today. I mean, it, it's a cultural thing, right? Like with us, you know, a lot of our culture is, uh, you know, I'm 90-some percent Irish. You know, I've got a little bit of English in me. You know, you've got some English in you. Um, and ever since the Victorian era, we've sat around telling creepy ghost stories on Christmas. That's kind of our tradition culturally, which is what we're doing today. You know, so I guess their culture... Because that's definitely a pagan ritual. A pagan ritual, yeah, fire. For sure. Light. Right. 
And I guess that's, you know, them bringing forth their culture. So our next one comes from Norway. And this one is about hiding your brooms on Christmas Eve. So I'm going to read this. In Norway, you'll want to do your Christmas cleaning long before uh, the Christmas Eve because on the night of Christmas, every smart or superstitious, depending on who you ask, Norwegian will hide all the brooms in the house. December is the darkest time of the year. And in Norway, it's a long-held belief that mischievous spirits and witches roam the lands during this period. This is, of course, bad news for all the broom owners. <laughs> because the witches will be lurking about looking to steal a broom for the traditional Christmas night ride. So, even if you are not in Norway, it may be a good idea uh, to put the cleaning aside for the night. Hide the brooms and in just the time... Enjoy this time of the year with your family and loved ones. After all, Christmas, uh, which is, exists in other parts of the world as well. So, that's our tradition uh, from Norway. Um, don't let a, a witch steal your broom. So, that's like right up your alley, too. You would love that. I would. If the broom went away. I would. <laughs> it would make my day. It would be even better if someone else used it. Ah, ah, that's what so, that robot vacuum cleaner is There for. we go. And since we're talking about creepy old ladies, let's talk. Let's move on over to Iceland and talk about Gryla. So Gryla decides to come and not only crash your Christmas party, she crashes with her 12 Yule lads. So she, it's Gryla and 12 young men show up at your house starting the 12 days before Christmas, and they say for the 12 days after Christmas. Wow. First one in is the 12th day before, and the, the they also leave on Christmas Day, and they come in in order, and then they leave in reverse order. So the the purpose of them coming in is that they uh, they come in and they, they run around and create mischief and pull harmless pranks. Um they keep an eye on all the children, though, and if there are any children who are not good and therefore didn't receive new clothes for Christmas because they were not good, they steal the children so they can eat them after Christmas. Wow. Right? Lots, yeah. of, lots of eating of the children. Now, evidently, Gryla and her young lads were t absolutely terrifying to the, the uh, folks in Iceland because in 1746, a decree was issued prohibiting... Gryla and the Yule Lions, as they no longer served any function other than to, than to scare children. <laughs> so that led to some creative Icelanders uh, creating a few songs that claim she has passed. However, a few of the songs also suggest she could return to the living should the number of naughty children start to be on the increase. Oh, okay, okay. I see a lot of potential for Chris, future Christmas horror stories coming up. You know, we've got a lot Absolutely. of them lately. You know, Krampus was a big deal. Um, I'm sure more Christmas horror stories will be coming out as we go. But uh, the next one is uh, Werewolves of Yule. And this one comes uh, not so much from a general geographic area, but um, just basically Eastern European. Uh, so, of all the odd customs, traditions, and legends associated with Christmas around the world, none seem odder than the werewolves of Yule. Werewolves and Halloween obviously go together. Christmas and a baby, a manger, a magical gift uh, giver in red and white. Uh, clearly, but why werewolves in Christmas? Predating Christmas, there was widespread pagan belief in, in, the, in Europe that the winter solstice was a significant time 
for monsters in general. Vampires, werewolves, witches, evil spirits. This goes back to that dark time of the year again, too. Correct. Uh, and, you know, once again, pagan traditions. Uh, you know, the creatures of the night were out and about in force at the time when the dark held sway over the world. Um, another possible pre-Christian connection to the werewolves of Yule is with the Greek Calicant Zoros, a monkey-like demon creature who spent most of the year underground trying to chop down the world tree. Whatever that means. But after sunset between December 25th and January 20 or January 6th, the beasties came out to run amok and scare the horses. Uh, their terrorizing could be remedied through by simply putting a colander on the porch. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I guess he's afraid of pasta. And Calacanzaros <laughs> would compulsively count the holes. Oh, he's ADD. He's ADD. It's an ADD trick, man. Until the break of day and their subterranean return. Some theorize the ancient myths about the, the Cal uh, Canzaros mutated into werewolves of your role. Okay. The first specific werewolf, werewolf myth we will address is the connection between a Christmas Day birth and the curse of the wolf. This belief was strongest in Poland and Northeastern Europe. At least this belief provides an ostensible why being born on Christmas Day is an insult to Jesus. Uh, so basically that's what it is. And if you were born on Christmas Day, you're insulting Jesus. Uh, therefore, you become a werewolf. There's even a movie about this called The Curse of the Werewolf, um, which is pretty dark. Uh, despite ritual uh, steps taken to break the curse, um, you know, if you are born on Christmas Day, you're still insulting Jesus. Therefore, you are uh, a werewolf. <laughs> okay. Now we have. We have a almost werewolf. Yeah. 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 Our daughter is almost a werewolf. She right. was born the day before. Man, she just barely got Barely by. missed it. Otherwise, we could have a werewolf in the family. So. Now we're going to wind up over in Belgium and France, um, which are two interesting countries. And so they have a gentleman that is in their world called Père Fautard. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Uh, but anyway, it means whipping father. And uh, so you can already guess how he brings holiday cheer. But that's not even the scary part. His being the whipping father is the happy part of this story. Really? Really. So as the story goes, this gentleman began his life as an innkeeper kidnapper and murderer in that order one day while keeping his inn, so he's backing it off to uh he's backing it off children. just to beating children right right he starts starts at the extreme and backs down to yeah. just beating up children um one day while keeping his inn, three rich boys on their way to a religious boarding boarding school stayed at his inn recognizing their wealth he along with his wife decided to capture and murder the children by slitting their throats to take their money because that somehow seemed like a better idea than ransoming them off to their wealthy parents. <laughs> so then they decided to make corpse stew, which sounds like an appetizing hol new holiday favorite, right? Let's just make some corpse stew. Yum. Uh, St. Nick showed up. But I have to say, it beats uh, raw whale skin and blubber, the side of blubber. I'll take the raw whale skin over the dead boys. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> St. Nick shows up and resurrects the boys. Yay, St. Nick. 
So seeing St. Nick's power, the innkeeper repents and becomes St. Nick's partner and becomes the official whipping boy of bad boys and girls. Okay. That's repentance. That's a long way to make a Christmas uh, legend, right? Right. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. That's pushing it a little bit. Yeah. So the next one is one of my personal favorites. Uh, and this one comes from Wales. And this is the Mari Lloyd. Um, and you got to see this thing. Uh, everybody go out, Google this. It's, this thing is terrifying to me. It's M-A-R-I. That's the first word. And then Lloyd, uh, because it's Welsh, it's spelled oddly. It's L-W-Y-D. So what this thing is, is it's an extremely tall uh, sheeted figure that looks like a horse um, because it has a horse skull protruding from the front of the sheet, which is decorated in ribbons. Um, so taken directly from Wikipedia here, the Maori Lloyd is a wassailing folk custom around in South Wales. The tradition entails the use of an eponymous hobby horse, which is made from a horse's skull mounted on a pole and carried by an individual hidden under a sackcloth. It represents a regional variation of a hooded animal tradition that appears throughout Great Britain. The custom was first recorded in 1800, with subsequent accounts of it being produced into the early 20th century. According to these, the Mari Lloyd was a, traditional, uh, a tradition performed at Christmas time by groups of men. They would form into teams to accompany the horse on its travels around the local area. And although the makeup of such groups varied, they typically included an individual to carry the horse, a leader, and individuals dressed as stock characters such as Punch and Judy. The team would carry the Mari Lloyd to local houses where they would request entry through the medium of song. So they're like singing through the door. The householders would be expected to deny them entry again, again through songs so they sing back. And the two sides would continue their responses to one another in this manner. If householders eventually relented, then the tea would be permitted entry and given food and drink. Although the custom was uh, given various names, it was best known as the Mari Lloyd. The etymology of this term remains the subject of academic debate. Um, some people say it's the Holy Mary. Some people say it's the Grey Mare. Um, but I read uh, off Wikipedia a better explanation of the, where the legend started. And it started with, um, you know, when Mary and Joseph arrived at the, you know, stable to have Jesus. Uh, one of the horses had to be removed. There was a gray mare in it, also was pregnant. And, uh, you know, it was the Mari Lloyd, the gray mare. And it has since wandered the, the world looking for a place to have its child. And that's how it wound up in Wales, going door to door rhyming through the door with people and it's actually like a rhyming contest it is right where it's a big um, so it's like a, contest between it's a the rap two. battle yeah <laughs> it's the welsh rap battle <laughs> to put it in the uh, skull today's term sheeted horse and the people that are in the house but there's uh a lot of weird mumming traditions and wassailing traditions and it's a way for neighbors to get together in a dark time of the year and have a little bit of fun and trade some food and drinks and you know, Barbs. Yeah. Exactly. Because <laughs> it is insults. Right. It is That's insults. They're trading insults, right? <laughs> yeah. They're actually rhyming back and forth in Welsh and they're insults to each yep. other. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting tradition. It's one of my personal favorites. And when you look at the Mari Lloyd, it's friggin' terrifying. 
So it is a scary looking thing. It is. It is. So we're going to go from horses to spiders. So this story is interesting, right? So uh, this story uh, it talks about Christmas spiders, which is something I had never in my world thought of or heard. Uh, no, me until, either. Right? It's a Christmas, Christmas story that is based out of the U- Ukraine. So the story goes that a very uh, very hard-working working widow, but very, very poor, lived in a small hut with a pack of her children. And uh, one day a pine cone fell on the floor, which was earth, and it took, uh, took root. So they took care of the tree, and they were all excited about the prospect of having a Christmas tree by winter. So the tree grew, and, and then uh, Christmas Eve arrived, and they couldn't afford to decorate it. So they all went to bed very sad, and the next morning they woke up, and I, at this point, would be outrageously terrified because the tree was then covered in webs. I'm terrified of spiders and webs. This, this does not make me happy or overjoyed, but... Uh, now, this next part, though, if it happened, I think I could change my tune on spiders and spiderwebs. So when the sun came in the windows and hit the spiderwebs all over the tree, they turned into silver and gold. Nice. And then they could go buy Christmas and enjoy. So And they were never poor again. And they were never poor again. So that's the good news. So if the spiderweb turns to gold, I will change my tune. Otherwise, I'm still terrified of spiders. And that's Eastern European? Yeah, Poland, Ukraine, that space of Europe. And that actually ties into uh, the, the tinsel on trees. You're correct. That wouldn't, in fact, parlay right into tinsel on trees. And I love tinsel on trees. Well, tinsel was actually invented in Philadelphia, too. You mean the, the stuff from the 40s and 50s? Yeah, yeah, but it actually the t- the actual decoration tinsel is from Kindies in Philadelphia, which is still one Operating. of the coolest places you can. It go is a to. very cool place. Um, you can actually go to South Philly, and you can go to uh, the Kindies factory. It's not the original one; they moved there, but you can go in and you can buy um, lights and really good quality lights and tinsel and all that kind of stuff direct from. Uh, Kindies. It's a factory outlet right off of 76 down in South Philly. It's a really cool place to go. And they have some unique decorations. But I've never seen spider webs there, though. No. <laughs> but the t- now the tinsel makes a lot of sense. Now the tinsel makes sense. So it turned yeah. it to silver and gold. Well, even the, the, the Christmas tree is really interesting. Like, if you if you look into the history of the Christmas tree itself, you know, Christmas trees were never really that big a deal. Um, you know, except in Germany and actually in Germany, they weren't even that big deal. They weren't, they weren't everywhere in Germany. They were only in a certain part of it, but there was a a marriage into, um, you know, the Royal family in England, uh, with the Germans and, and there was a prince and he actually brought the first Christmas tree into, you know, the palace over there. And it got put into the papers and, you know, rich people wanted Christmas trees, man. It's cool. Wow. Look at that. You know, this tree. So that's how Christmas trees started out. Um, It was, you know, brought from Germany to England. And that's how we wound up with all our Christmas trees. We adopted that. We had kind of adopted that. But it's traditionally a German tradition. And what's interesting also about Christmas trees is um, with the Christmas tree, uh, there were originally you know no lights on christmas trees and then all of a sudden they started putting these candles on 
Um, and the way they would do this is they would, well, they would melt wax on the end of the branches and they would get it, you know, nice and soft and then put the remainder of the candle on the end of the branches. Well, this is like a fire hazard waiting to happen, you know? So uh, a lot of houses uh, over here in America that had Christmas trees and were do, you know, if you had a Christmas tree here in America, it was really tough to get insurance, which is amazing, right? So you actually couldn't get insurance on your home if you decided to have a Christmas tree. So even though we all have Christmas trees nowadays, and it's this big, huge tradition, it always wasn't like this huge tradition. Right. Well, and yeah, lighting candles on a tree is a little scary for Absolutely, folks. yeah. So that's, that's kind of how the Christmas tree um, started. Brought from Germany to England and then to here. So our next one uh, comes from Central Central European folklore, and that is one that we all know about. We've seen some movies on it lately, and you see more and more of these decorations out in the store. There's all like a little bit of a section for this guy nowadays, and that's Krampus. And to give the shout-out to our son-in-law, he, he kind of introduced us to the creepy story of Krampus. Yeah, he was on this about... <laughs> yes, yeah, years ago. I mean, it was... Eight to ten years ago he was on this About eight years thing. ago, he introduced us to the uh, creepy, bloody Krampus Christmas movie on Christmas Eve, and we had just got to know him. And that movie was called Rare Imports. Rare Imports, or Rare Exports, Rare Imports. Yeah, so Mike and I are looking at each other going, who is this kid? Kid and why is he bringing creepy, bloody stories? Yeah, because we had Eve? always watched <laughs> family cutesy movies. And... Yeah, so so you guys can all thank Tony, Tony. Thank you very much for introducing the creepy side of Christmas. Yeah, and it's called Rare Imports, and it um, is Fantastic a movie, movie about Krampus, and it's actually got subtitles, so be warned. And I don't know if it's on Netflix anymore. But if you take a look out there, you can find it, and it's called Rare Imports. So that's where we got introduced to Krampus. And nowadays, if you go into any store, you'll see a Krampus ornament. You'll see a little Krampus section. We have a little stuffed Krampus down on our little village display. We do. So uh, Krampus comes to us from uh, Central Central European folklore. Krampus is a horned anthropomorphic figure described as half goat, half demon who during the Christmas season punishes children who have misbehaved. This contrasts with St. Nicholas, who rewards the well-behaved with gifts. Krampus is one of the companions of St. Nicholas in several regions, including Austria, Bavaria, Croatia, the Czech Republic, Hungary, even in northern Italy, uh, and the province of Trento, Slovakia, and Slovenia. The origin of the figure is unclear. Some folklorists and anthropologists have postulated it as having pre-Christian origins. In traditional parades and in such events as the Krampus Slaw, young men, young men dressed as Krampus participate. Such events occur annually in most Alpine towns. Krampus is featured on holiday greeting cards called Krampus Carton. And here's the origins of it. Um what they speculate on at least the history of the Krampus figure has been theorized as stretching back to pre-Christian Alpine traditions In a brief article discussing the figure published in 1958 Maurice Bruce wrote there seems to be little doubt as to his true identity for in no other form is the full regalia 
of the horn god of the witches so well preserved. The birch, apart from its phallic significance, may have a connection with the initiation rites of certain witch covens. Rites which entailed binding and scourging as a form of mock death. The change could have been introduced in a Christian attempt to bind the devil, but again, they could be a remnant of pagan initiation rites. Discussing his observations in 1975, while in Erdening, a small town in Syria, anthropologist John J. Hogman wrote, The St. Nicholas Festival we are describing incorporates cultural elements widely distributed in Europe in some cases going back to pre-Christian times. Nicholas himself became popular in Germany around the 11th century. The feast dedicated to this patron of children is only one winter occasion in which children are the objects of special attention. Others being Martinmas, the Feast of the Holy Innocents, and New Year's Day. Mass devils acting boisterously and making nuisances of themselves are known in Germany since at least the 16th century, while animal mass devils combining dreadful comic antics appeared in medieval church plays. Uh, A large literature, much of it by European folklorists, bears on these subjects. Austrians in the community we studied are quite aware of heathen elements being blended with Christian elements in the St. Nicholas customs and in other traditions, winter ceremonies traditional winter ceremonies. They believe Krampus derives from a pagan supernatural who was assimilated to the Christian devil. The Krampus figure persisted, and by the 17th century, Krampus had become incorporated into Christian winter celebrations by pairing Krampus with St. Nicholas. So, uh, we move forward to modern history. In the aftermath of the 1932 election in Austria, the Krampus tradition was prohibited by the Dolphus regime. That's interesting. Under the Fatherland's Front and the Christian Social Party in the 1950s, the government distributed pamphlets titled, Krampus is an Evil Man. <laughs> I, sorry if I just... <laughs> I just see Trump's face on the Krampus doll. So, right? Uh, it's like... A popular resurgence uh, of Krampus celebrations occurred and continues today. The Krampus tradition is being revived in Bavaria as well, along with a local artistic tradition of hand-carved wooden wooden masks. In 2019, there were reports of drunken (laughs) or disorderly conduct by mass Krampuses in some Austrian towns. So So it's interesting, right? In the 50s, the government is still trying to tell you, yeah, Krampus is evil, and and what happens is it, it gets stirred back up. Right. Instead of it going Always. away, right. it becomes everybody's like, hey, you you don't want us to play with Krampus? I guess what's coming to Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Krampus overload. So the Feast of St. Nicholas is actually celebrated um, usually on December 6th in Europe. I think it was December 5th here. I, I don't know. I, f- I forget. But that's Krampus knocked. And that's the night when Krampus comes and collects all the little naughty children, cleans them out. So, you know, Santa Claus doesn't have to. You know, worry, worry about, about the possibly children. leaving them any good gifts because they're all gone. Krampus takes them, puts them in his bag, and takes them to wherever Krampus takes them. <laughs> and that's our little Krampus. That's that's Krampus. Yeah, we our, love Krampus. Our Krampus downstairs has a uh, bunch of you know switches in his hand, 
And then uh, in the other hand, he has a bag and there's a child in there, a screaming child. <laughs> a screaming child in the, in the Krampus bag. So we'll have to put a picture of that on the Patreon page so that you can see our, our phenomenal Krampus uh, masterpiece. Yep. So he, he watches over our Christmas town. So we'll go from Krampus to Bell's Nickel. This, this one I, I firmly believe in. I firmly believe in Bell's Nickel. My understanding is he is going to be visiting our grandson this year. Really? Yes. Yes. So Bell Snickles shows up the day before Christmas uh, and and wanders through the neighborhood and talks to all the boys and girls and tells them they have to be good. And if they're not good, St. Nick's not going to come visit them. And uh, he's a little terrifying looking because he's covered in rags and fur and he's uh, completely covered up and he's disheveled and he's human. We He's, he's human form. Yeah, and he's a little bit kinder because he's not as bad as Krampus. He just doesn't take the... He does not take the children. He doesn't eat the children. He actually... beats them into submission. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's got a switch in one hand to beat the children. But if they promise to be good, he also has pockets full of cake and candies and nuts. And he gives that to the good children. So he only beats the bad ones and he gives the good... Good ones, cakes and candies, and tells them to continue to be good so Santa Claus can come visit. Nice. Right? But doesn't he also, I thought he also beat the good kids as they were grabbing the candy and the, and the cookies too, right? I mean, doesn't he do that as well? No, he just beats the naughty children. <laughs> and he has pockets full of cakes and candies and nuts for the good children. Right. And this is really tied into our geographical area. Um, we lived in uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania area, which is close to... Uh, to Kutztown and Pennsylvania Dutch country and, and Bell's Nickel is a big deal out in, you know, Lancaster and York County and all those places. Um, Bell's Nickel is a, a big tradition that's kind of making its way back nowadays. Um, and like Tracy said, he's a pretty interesting looking character. Yeah. I can't wait till he comes to visit our grandson. Yeah. And that brings us around to the Yule cat. And that is a little feature of Iceland. So what we're going to do is we're going to play a commercial. We're going to tell you about the Yule Cat, a couple other ones, and then we'll come back right after this message. My name is Mike Famelons, and I'm the producer and lead investigator for the show In the Shadow of Big Red Eye. Are you tired of seeing repeat episodes of fake Bigfoot shows? Do you want to join me and my team and see what a true investigation is really like? Then get your knocking stick and let's go. Full episodes of In the Shadow of Big Red Eye can be found by subscribing to our YouTube channel, Sussex County Bigfoot. Also be sure to like In the Shadow of Big Red Eye's Facebook page and follow us on Instagram for giveaways and show updates. Hey, I'm Matt DeSanto. I'm famous. Google me. Anyway, when I'm not busy racking up prizes on Wheel of Fortune, I'm listening to Wicked Garden Podcast. And we're back. And uh, I got a story here from Iceland. And this one is called the Yule Cat. Uh, this is more of the Icelandic Christmas folklore. Tracy was telling you about Gryla and the Yule Lads. And uh, this is the Yule Cat. Um, and here's the story. The Yule Cat is a huge and vicious cat who is described as lurking about the snowy countryside during Christmas time and eating people who have not received any new clothes to wear before Christmas Eve. <laughs> He is actually the house pet of Gryla and her sons. What is Gryla? 
and the Gryla is Gulad. She's a creepy lady. Man, this is a uh, this yeah. is a really good one. Somebody's got to make a movie about this. Um, Though referred to as an ancient tradition, written accounts of the Yule Cat have only been located as recently as the 19th century. The threat of being eaten by the Yule Cat was used by farmers as an incentive for their workers to finish processing the autumn wool before Christmas. The ones who took part in the work would be rewarded with new clothes, but those who did not would get nothing and thus would be preyed upon by the monstrous cat. The cat has alternately been described as merely eating away the food of ones without new clothes. Uh, during Christmas feasts, uh, the perception of the Yule cat as a man-eating beast was partly popularized by poems of Johannes or Klotum, uh, as with the rest of the folklore. So that's uh, more Icelandic folklore. I'm telling you, those those people up around Iceland, Norway, Sweden, Finland, they have some messed up Christmas traditions. Yes, they do. <laughs> I think yes, it's because do. there's there, it's so cold, and they're just locked away in the dark for eight months out of the year. And how many hours of daylight are they getting? Like two hours? In the wintertime, it's, it's very, very little. Right? Yeah. yeah. So basically, they do a bunch of work when they, you know, when the light's out and I guess they kind of take it easy. And make know? up creepy stories in between. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's dark and that leads to the creepiness factor, I guess. Yeah. You're in the dark all the time. Your brain goes dark. You move to the dark side of storytelling. Yeah. So there's another one here that I want to talk about. Can we move this window over so I can see it? Can we move it over? It's way like it's opposite of my microphone. Awesome. Cool. So this is another one of my personal favorites. Um, and this is uh, called The Wild Hunt. So this one uh, comes to us. Uh, this one's really cool. So uh, this is called uh, Holiday Horrors, Yule and the Wild Hunt. So while the companions of St. Nicholas are still rather popular in many countries and populations, the traditions that predate Christmas that were arguably the predecessors of Christmas have mostly faded from memory, only being invoked in fiction and in small neo-pagan groups i am referring to the tradition of yule a festival that goes back to the germanic peoples of europe before christianity was even a fledgling religion yule also also known as yuletide was a 12-day festival that corresponded with the winter solstice also known as the midwinter night uh if that period of time has you Seeing car carols to yourself, you are definitely not alone. Yule and Yuletide are still used in classic songs to refer to Christmas, but seldom outside of that context. The celebration of Yule involved days of feasting, drinking, fornication, and animal <laughs> sacrifice. Just to cover all the bases. <laughs> right. Once again, it's dark. Why not? So why was Yule important to the Germanic people? The period of Yule was a direct worship of their gods. The gods themselves were often referred to as Yule beings. And Odin, father of the Norse gods, had a name that translates to Yule father. It is clear that this celebration of Yule was one of the most direct and important celebrations of the gods throughout the entire year. Uh, the true horror comes with these gods, with Odin in particular, as Yule was a time most often associated with the wild hunt. Like many tales from folklore, the wild hunt varies based on who is telling it and what part of Europe 
or even across the world you are from. Traditionally, the wild hunt is a procession of spectral huntsmen that streak across the sky. Their ghostly steeds, hounds, and birds traveling with them. The hunting prey can vary, uh, however. Some tales claim that the group is made of fairies, others elves, the most settle on the idea of demons and devil speeding uh, beings. The leader of the party changes based on location as well. For the vast majority of these tales, the hunt is led by Odin, uh, frequently referred to as Woden. Uh, however, local notable figures, usually disgraced, can be found at the helm in different uh, regions. Some claim the devil himself leads the hunt, while others uh, state that some goddesses or the evil corrupted forms of them will charge at the front of the ghastly march. Even Connect Ruprecht, one of the companions of St. Nicholas, has been rumored to be at the head of the pack. The wild hunt, while uh, present throughout many cultures, really becomes popular after J Jacob Grimm wrote about it in his work at Deutsch Mythologies in 1835. Uh, Grimm agrees that the wild hunt is pre-Christian in origin, he writes that the procession was not always a thing of horror. Depending upon the individuals in the hunt, uh, their speed, and the noises they made, the hunt could uh, signify good or bad events to come. During the Christianization of Europe, however, the wild hunt became monstrous, terrifying. It was associated with, you know, once again, this is putting down the old gods, right? Right. Um, we got new gods. You should pay attention to our gods. Put your old pagan gods away. And that's why it's horrifying, right? So it was associated with the undead walking the countryside, people dying on a mass scale, often in awful ways. Odin, the Yule Father, became a fallen idol, losing all familiar features, social standing, and becoming a sort of devil. This helped the Christian churches demonize the worship of all gods, further securing their hold. There have been other reasons that Odin has been said to lead the wild hunt. In parts of Sweden, for example, Odin wasn't even seen as a god at all. He was thought to be some kind of nobility who had decided to hunt during Sundays, the Christian day of rest. As his punishment, he has been doomed to hunt down and kill supernatural beings until the end of time. Pretty cool. As you can see, the folklore behind the wild hunt is widely varied. Most stories these days tell of a wild hunt that is an evil portent, a sign of terrible things to come. At worst, the wild hunt is a precursor to war or plague. At best, it means that whoever saw it is going to die. <laughs> but there are still those who believe that the wild hunt can carry other omens. And those, uh, the practice neo-paganism, like heathenry, interpret the wild hunt in a completely different way. Neo-pagan is an umbrella story or an umbrella term for a variety of beliefs that are uh, more or less based uh by the polytheistic views of Germanic and Norse religions. They are far from complex. Uh, they are far more comp complex than that, but it gives the general idea for a foundation. One of the ways in which uh, neo-pagans celebrate the wild hunt is by walking a route through the forest during the day and then racing through the same circuit at night. That's terrifying. If you can navigate it in time, you will be seen as having gained the trust of the wood spirits and can cut down the wood for uh, your use. To add the ca to the chasm-sized difference between this and the classic version of the Wild Hunt, the modern version is celebrated on Halloween, not around Yule. It is interesting to see how traditions and uh, tales change over time, and uh, that's the Wild Hunt. That's crazy. Yeah. Again, it's, it's all those people in those cold countries. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's uh it's interesting. But it's it's interesting too how a lot of this ties back into uh pagan tradition. You know? Yeah. Like a lot of it yep. is, you know, ties back to paganism and once again, the darkest time of the year, you know, you've got all these uh crazy traditions and crazy things and crazy feasts and you know why were we not around for the feasts and the fornication right (laughs) but it's interesting how christianity comes in demonizes all this stuff it does and you know how it's interpreted differently nowadays so now we come to probably the most terrifying it is it is the single most terrifying Christmas uh, tradition out there, and absolutely. it's a reasonably new one. It absolutely is. We run we we have hidden from it. We have uh, uh, so far forbidden, uh, been successful in our escape from this horror, and forbidding anybody uh, involved with us to practice this. <laughs> as much as you can forbid your adult children to do anything, right? But we'll yeah. see how that goes. <laughs> So well, far, we've succeeded. We are, of course, talking about the elf on the shelf. What a creepy idea. Right? <laughs> yeah, someone put this creepy little guy. He's going to run around your house doing mischief every night. But you can't touch him because if you touch him, he loses his magic. And his magic power is that he goes and tells Santa Claus on you. I mean, this is just, I mean, talk about a rat. Yeah, and this came The from elf on a- the shelf is the ultimate rat. Yeah, and this came from a, a 2005 children's picture book uh, written by a Carol Abersold and her daughter, Shonda Bell, and it, illustrated by uh, Co Steinward. And the book tells a Christmas-themed story written in rhyme that explains how Santa Claus knows, how, knows who is naughty and nice. It describes elves visiting children from Thanksgiving to Christmas Eve, uh, after which they return to the North Pole, until the next holiday season, uh, the elf on the shelf comes in a keepsake box that features a hardbound picture book and a small scout elf. The author author says uh, the story is from a family tradition started by uh, Carol Abersold for her twin daughters, Shonda Bell and Krista Pitts in Georgia of the USA. We only need one idea like this. Just one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Good for them, but oh my God, it's a horrifying, horrifying story. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it, I just don't want some creepy little elf running around my house at night. Sorry. Every night, too. Right. I mean, that's the most terrifying part to me as a parent, is that it's every night yeah. the elf goes to a new place. Right. And does a new mischief. Right. Every night between Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve. And as a child, you're sitting there and wondering why your parents are okay with this. Uh, yeah, or why they're exhausted and cranky every morning. <laughs> oh, so those are our, uh, traditions from around the world, our scary Christmas traditions. Um, I barely guys. remember to put the pickle on the tree. You really think I could remember every stinking night for, from uh, Thanksgiving to Christmas Eve? Yeah, we do the pickle um, at our house. We actually do a couple different pickles. We had to do two different pickles because... Um, One kid could never win the pickle. (laughs) He was 10 years in a row losing the pickle gift, and he was starting to get sore about it. 
So we had to put two pickles up there to give them a better chance. And uh, it still took him a couple of years to win a pickle. It's true. It's true. We have a bigger pickle now, though. And he's the one with 2020 eyesight. It's true. The other one's blind, and she finds it every year. Yeah, but we think we figured out her um, trick. I do. I do. Because I, I don't. I don't. Ha- I don't give it away. Oh, that's true. Yeah. No. We figured out her trick, and we think we're going to stump her this year. We're going to see. We're going to try something a little bit different. So those are our uh, scary tradi- uh, Christmas traditions. And tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to take you out with a reading of one of the creepiest poems I've ever personally read. It is outrageously creepy. But this is a paranormal show, and we are fighting over the mouse for some reason right now. Because I have to read it, and the sun's coming in the window. <laughs> and so if it's on the side, you can read it. It's right in the sunshine on my side. All right. So Tracy's going to read this poem for you. Uh, we really hope you guys enjoy your holiday, enjoy your time with your family, enjoy your time with your friends. This is a great time of the year. Uh, remember the uh, reason for the season, of course. And, um, you know, we are going to be up with a new episode for you next week. And here's Tracy with a reading of a poem. And the poem's name is a holiday horror poem that will haunt you all season long. Hidden away among the coastal Maine cold lies a love story of sorts that is yet to be told. Swaddled closely I hold her so dear as the final hour of Christmas drew near. Humming softly to her the songs that I sing, never wanting for her to fear of anything. The eyes of her father, the cooing of a white dove, they say no bond is stronger than a mother's love. Rocking her gently I whispered her name, my baby girl Eve, you were never to blame. Nestling her closer I breathed in her scent, while wishing her, while wishing away her imminent discontent, my baby girl Eve, you're as pure as, of, my baby girl Eve, you're as pure as the snow. Your father will be pleased with your virtue aglow. Please don't fear your father, for his love is real. His word is good. His kingdom ideal. It was one year ago on the night we first met, manifesting in a dream I will never forget. Playing me his fiddle and dancing his dance, ensnaring me into his infernal romance. I gazed into his heart, and that's when I knew all my sweet love truly ever I ever wanted was you. Twirling me around, he dipped me to the left. I couldn't help but notice his hooved feet were cleft. The most angelic of faces with enchanting dark eyes, a long forked tongue capable of dissecting truth from lies. I listened when he spoke, and I knew that he was true, consummating our union that night we created you. My baby girl Eve, please have no fear, for the midnight hour is finally here. The clock had struck twelve. We no longer could stay. Your father has promised to return on this Christmas day. Our moment had come. My love had arrived. I'd proven my loyalty, and we had survived. Nine months in the womb and three on this earth. My darling Eve, you were obliged before birth my baby girl eve please do not be afraid for the words of the man wrongfully forbade you were marked at conception your soul is a gift we will meet again soon the pain will be swift i continued to sing in her final hour her lips faded blue her vessel then sour i set her down gently and i brushed off my gown it was time to go home and claim my crown my baby girl eve you were never to blame i simply asked my love what he wanted and he whispered your name. He lifted my hand. He gave it a kiss. 
And then I followed my beast down into the abyss. Thank you, Tracy, for that. You're very welcome. And I think what we learned tonight is um, if on Christmas Eve you hear bells, sleigh bells, or some kind of noise in the sky, don't go looking up in the sky. No. It could be the wild hunt. If you hear a knock at the door and you go to the door, don't answer it. It could be the Mary Lloyd. Stay inside. Be good. Get Be good to your parents. Be good to your kids. Start a big fire. Sit around the fire. Enjoy each other's company. And throw that elf in the shelf in the fire. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. 